Well, good morning. Apparently, the Angels were actually with the Angels last night because if you saw the score, they won like 25 to 1 in a baseball game. So that was incredible. Congratulations, Angels. There's your World Series for you right there. Something good to celebrate. But hey, welcome here to church. My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And every time I get an opportunity to speak with you, it is a privilege, especially when it's a topic that's so cool like this one. We are in a new series called Angel Encounters, where for five weeks, we are talking about, not necessarily about angels, but there's a story where angels show up, and it gives us an opportunity to get a glimpse into these mysterious heavenly beings and how God sometimes chooses to use them to communicate truths to us in our lives. So we have a very cool and special story I want to share with you here today. Let me do this. Let's pray, and then we'll check out and see what God has in store for us. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to just hear your word And I just pray for preparation, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to really receive you. I pray that you would instruct us, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would lead us. And thank you again for all things, that you give us truth, that you give us yourself. And all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there are some times in life where we pray, and then we ask God for something, and it doesn't happen, but we kind of understand why. You know what I'm talking about? We pray and we give God this request and then he doesn't give it to us. And as we think about it, we kind of go, yeah, that makes sense. Like, for example, maybe you're driving on the freeway and you get upset. And so you pray that the car in front of you would get into an accident. Right now, hear me out. Not not a big accident, not something fatal. You don't want them to die, but just a little fender bender. You want God to teach them a lesson because they change lanes in front of you without signaling, and that was so disrespectful. And so you pray, God, would you teach them a lesson? But it doesn't happen. They get off the freeway and go home. Or maybe you're at school, and you pray that your teacher would get sick. Now, again, hear me out here. We're not saying some kind of catastrophic illness. You don't want them to die. We're not talking something that's going to seriously compromise the quality of their life. You just want them to get the flu right? Just enough to knock them out for a couple of days because you procrastinated all semester, the midterms quickly approaching, and you need more time to study. So if the teacher gets sick, maybe she'll delay that test. And so you pray, God, would you allow this teacher to get ill? But it doesn't happen. She's healthy. She's fine. And the midterm takes place as scheduled. And when things like this happen, we ask and God doesn't give it to us. Sometimes we know why. Because those are silly requests, selfish requests. They come from a bad place, from a bad heart, from a bad motivation. And maybe we even agree, yeah, I'm glad you didn't answer that prayer. But then on the other hand, sometimes there's other times. There's the opposite, where we ask God to give us something, and then it doesn't happen, and we don't know why. We give God a request, and he doesn't honor it, and we're confused because we can't put our finger on the reason. It was a good request. It was an honorable request. It was a noble one. It was something maybe to to help people. It was something maybe that would bring God glory. But he doesn't give it to us. And we just can't understand. Maybe, for example, something happens at work where a new position is opened up. A new position in upper management. And they're going to hire. And their preference is to do it from within. And you see that listing. You see this opportunity to get this job. And you go, that's perfect. It's got my name all over it because not only are you committed and passionate about the company and what you do, but you're experienced, you're qualified. But best of all, 
it comes with it a pay raise, a handsome raise and increase in your salary, which will go a long way to helping your current situation, which is you have a mother who's homesick and her increasing medical bills are becoming more and more difficult to deal with. So getting this job would be perfect for you. Getting that increase in pay would help you take care of your mother. And so you pray, God, can I have this job? But someone else gets it. Someone else in the company that you know, and perhaps they're less qualified, and you just can't understand. You don't know why God wouldn't give you this good thing that you asked for. Sometimes it happens in life. We ask God to give us something good, and it doesn't happen. He doesn't give it to us, and we're grappling with frustration. We grapple with confusion. We ask that question, why? Why won't you give it to us? Well, today, I want us to turn to the Bible, and I want us to look at a story where a man goes through this exact same situation. His name is Zechariah, and he's a priest. And he's married to a woman named Elizabeth, and the Bible tells us that they are just an amazing people. They're a great couple. They're good. They're godly. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, not only are they good and godly, but they have a good and godly request. They desire for God to give them something, but he doesn't give it to them. And because of that, they're stuck wondering, why? Why won't God do this good thing for me? Well, something incredible happens because some years pass by, And God sends an angel into Zechariah's life. And through this angel encounter, Zechariah actually learns the answer to that question. He finds out God reveals to him the reason, the why this didn't happen. And as the angel gives his message, Zechariah learns a very, very important lesson. And so do we. So let's take a look at this story together. This morning, we are in the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. We are in the Gospel of Luke And we are in chapter number one, Gospel of Luke, chapter number one. And as we explore this passage together here this morning, we're going to see three things, three truths, three observations, three questions that we will ask and answer together here today. And those three questions are this. Number one, what is this good thing that Zechariah wants from God that he doesn't get, right? What's this request that he has for God that God doesn't honor? What does he want? Question number two, why doesn't God give it to him? What is the reason that he discovers? What is the purpose that God has in mind for refusing this request? And finally, question number three, what does that mean for us here today? What's the significance for us? What bearing does it have in our lives? So number one, what does Zechariah ask for that God doesn't give? Number two, why doesn't God give it? And number three, what does that mean for us here today? So question number one, what is this request that Zechariah has? He asks God for a child. He asks God to have a son or a daughter. He prays, and the request that God has for him, that his wife Elizabeth can be barren, or not barren, can conceive, can have a child. Yet God doesn't give it. Let's take a look at this. We're in verses 5 through 7. Luke chapter number 1, verses 5 through 7. This is what it says. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest, and his name was Zechariah. And he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But, verse 7, they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And so here we are, we're introduced to Zechariah 
and Elizabeth. And man, they are an amazing couple, right? I mean, I thought that Taylor Swift and Austin Reeves of the Lakers were like a hot couple, but they got nothing on Zechariah and Elizabeth. I mean, they're both from a prestigious lineage. They're priests, right? Zechariah is a priest at least. Uh, Elizabeth wasn't because she was a woman, but she came from a family of priests. She's from the Aaronic line, Aaron, of course, being the brother of Moses, the first high priest. And so they just have a background of being dedicated to serving God. But not only that, the Bible tells us they were righteous in the sight of God. They obeyed all his commands and decrees, and they did it blamelessly. And they truly are a good and godly couple. And so they come before God with, unsurprisingly, a good and godly request. They want to be parents. They want to have kids. And this really was a good request. This is a good thing to ask for, because having kids is good. And it's good for a lot of reasons. I mean, number one, because God said, at that time, to have kids, right? In the book of Genesis, there's two places in the Bible where God actually gives this divine mandate to be fruitful and multiply, once in the garden, once after the flood. And so at that time, it was thought that this was a fulfillment of God's purposes and commands. You're doing God's will to have children. That's what he told us to do. So that's good. We're glorifying God. But also, like we mentioned, Zechariah is a priest. So if he has kids, that's good because he's able to have little priests in the house, right? He could pass on his priestly lineage. And so there's more people dedicated to serving God. That's good. It's going to bless other people. It's going to honor God again. And then number three, there was a very practical reason why it was good to have kids. And that was because kids were truly important in the ancient culture of that time. Kids were ones who would help around the house and help fulfill familial responsibilities. They would do things like get food and help you know, the family get fed and help the family with the chores that needed to be done. But also as the kids got older and so did you, it was the kids that would take care of you so that when you became elderly and weak and unable to tend for yourself, it was the children who would do this for you. And so in essence, the kids were like free labor, medical insurance, and a retirement plan just kind of all rolled into one. And so for this reason, plus probably many, many others that I'm not mentioning here this morning, this was a good request. It was a good thing. And that's the answer to question number one. What was this good thing that they asked for that God didn't give? It was to have children. But as we said, God did not give it. And verse 7 tells us that very clearly. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old which leads us right into our second question for the day. Why? Why? Why didn't God give it to them? I mean, they're good. They're good people. They're righteous. They're blameless. They're holy. They're faithful. They're priests and from a priest's family. And having kids was a good thing. It could bless them. It could help other people. It could glorify God. So, What was his reasoning? What was his purpose for withholding this particular blessing from them? Well, an incredible thing happens. Because as some years go by, God actually answers that question. He does it during a very, very important and significant time in Zechariah's life. He does it, the Bible tells us, while Zechariah is burning the incense in the temple. He does it during this very important time, during the time of the burning of incense in the temple. Now, what does that mean, and why is that important? Well, i got to give you a little bit of a background for this, for us to fully understand the importance of this moment in Zechariah's life. So as we mentioned, Zechariah was a priest in the time of Israel, right around 1st century B.C., 
And at this time, there were about 18,000 to 20,000 priests. I've seen different numbers in different commentaries, but roughly around 18,000 priests at that time divided into 24 divisions or teams. And each team of priests had roughly 700 to 750 people in it. And so basically what would happen is each team of priests twice a year for one week at a time would go down into Jerusalem and they would stay stay there for that entire week and they would basically take care of priestly duties at the temple. So it's kind of like gleanings, right? I mean, you make a trip, you stay there for a week, you serve God, you do something. It was like the priest version of that. They take their team of 750 members, they go down, they stay there, and they just serve God at the temple during this time. Now, what exactly would they do? Well, they weren't drawing peaches, of course. But they were doing a bunch of other stuff, right? There were a variety of duties. Someone would clean the cups and the basins. Someone would light and trim the candles. Someone would, and this is kind of the the scary part, would prepare the burnt offering. So you would have to slaughter the animal and drain the blood and all that stuff. Someone would have to do that. Someone would actually cook the food that would be given to the high priest. There were all sorts of duties that these priests would do. And the way that they would determine or decide who would do what task was by drawing lots, right? They would like flip a coin or roll a dice or however it was done back then. It was randomly through a lottery system. And if you drew this straw, oh, that's your task. If you drew that straw, oh, you're doing that. Well, there was one task that was high above them all. One task that was the most prestigious, the most honored. The one that was thought to be the one that all the priests wanted. And what was it? Burning the incense at the temple. Right? Because the one priest who got to burn the incense at the temple, it was thought that they had the closest access to God. It was the one person who at that moment in time was the closest to God that you could possibly get. Because the way it worked was when you burned the incense, you would go into the inner sanctum of the temple. And inside there, there was in the center a special room. It's called the Holy of Holies. You may recall some sermons talking about this. But no one went in there. That's where God's glory resided. There was a 15-foot by 15-foot room, the Holy of Holies. And no one went in there except one person. That's the high priest. And even he could only go in once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But right next to that, there was another room separated only by a veil. That was called the Holy Place. And that's where the incense was burned. So the one lucky chosen priest would go into that holy place right next to the Holy of Holies. And he would get this mixture of spices and incense. And he would put it on this golden altar and light the fire. And then the smoke would go up to the heavens and he would say a prayer. And this rising smoke would be a symbol that what we just prayed for is going directly up to God. And that was just such a tremendous privilege to be in that place doing that very thing, mediating between God and man. And one person got to do it. And once you did it, you could never do it again. Well, guess what? Zechariah gets chosen to do it. Amazing, right? Some of you guys know I'm a big baseball fan, right? A big Dodger fan, right? Any Dodger fans here? All right, God bless you and only you, and Drew as well. So God bless you guys. Any Angel fans here? 
All right, all right. That should be expected. We're in Orange County. Uh, we will pray for you that the, you know, the lost will be found, that they will find their way. So extend the hand, pray for those Angel fans. But I love baseball. Baseball is amazing. You know, Tommy Lasorda once said this, if you don't love the Dodgers, you may not get into heaven. And I think he, he might be true. It might be right. But anyways, I love baseball. And there's this really cool thing that happens in baseball, like right towards the end of the summer going into the fall. And that is baseball has this contest, right? There's this drawing that they do. And so you register, you go online, you put your name, your email, and one lucky fan gets chosen. And you know what they get to do? This one fan gets to go to the World Series and not only attend the games, check this out, they get to go to the World Series and they get to attend every single potential clinching game. So you got to win four games to win the World Series, right? When one team gets to three wins, they fly you out, they put you in a hotel, and you get to attend every single potential clinching game. And as soon as one team wins, they bring you out onto the field, and then you give out hats and T-shirts to the winning team. I mean, isn't that awesome? That's like a bucket list thing for me. And every year, I kind of go on the website, and I put my name in the thing. I've never won it. I don't think I'm ever going to win it. But if that were to ever happen, I think my life may be complete. Right? I mean, what an honor to, to go onto the field of the World Series to participate in this great moment of history to give to the players the hats and the shirts. Now, I can't go into the locker room and do the champagne. That's the Holy of Holies, but this is the holy place, right? I mean, it's the, the next best thing. And I'm just waiting to, to one day have my name called. Well, that's what happens to Zachariah. That's the baseball equivalent. He wins the lottery. He wins the drawing. They call his name, and now he's able to go into this Holy of Holies. And that's what we see happen next, verses 8 through 10. This is what it says. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord to burn the incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So that's what happens. Zechariah wins the lottery. He gets chosen. He's going to burn the incense. He's going to offer up the prayers, and all the other people are gathered around to pray. But this is where things get interesting. Because as Zechariah enters in at that appointed time to fulfill this great and prestigious and honored duty or task, he sees something, right? There's a golden altar. It's a darkened room. No one can go in there. Only one person can be in there. It's dark. There's only seven candles lighting this whole room. And suddenly next to the altar, there appears what? An angel. Glowing white, radiant and this just blows Zechariah away. He's shaking hearts, pounding knees, or knocking together. He's freaked out. And keep in mind, by this time, Zechariah is old. I mean, he, he may have nearly had a heart attack at this time. He is completely terrified. But the angel speaks to Zechariah, and he gives a message. He says, do not be afraid, because I am here to give you good news. What's that good news? God has heard your prayers. You will have a child. You will have a son. His name is John. Take a look, verse 11. And so Zechariah, he enters into the temple. He's ready to burn the incense. Verse number 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear. But the angel said these, these words. 
Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, or as we know him today, John what? The Baptist. What an incredible day for our friend Zechariah. Wins a lottery of priests, goes into the temple, sees an angel. Angel gives him a message. You're going to be a dad. You're going to have a son. And I think the story ended right here. We'd all go home just satisfied. Yeah, amen. Great story. Be faithful like Zechariah, and good stuff will happen. But that's not the end of the story. Far from it. Because the angel continues speaking. and He has another message. Right? And that message is actually an answer to the question that Zechariah asked for the last 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 years. And that question is why? Why did it take so long until now? Why for all these years when I asked you, God, to give me this good thing, why did you say no? Why didn't we have this child years ago? And it's at this moment in time that the angel reveals the answer to that question. The answer is the reason why God did not give to Zechariah this good thing that he asked for. It's simply because God had a bigger and better plan in mind. God had a bigger and better plan in mind. You see, Zechariah asked God for something good. God waited because he wanted to give him something great. It wasn't because Zechariah did something wrong. It wasn't because he was in sin or he made a mistake. It wasn't because God forgot or he was angry or didn't love him. None of those things are true. We know that from Scripture. But it's because God had a bigger and better plan in mind. And we see this unfold in the words that follow, verses 14 through 17. So the angel says, you will have a son. His name will be John. And then look what he says next. He will be a joy and delight to you. But also many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And we have this amazing prophecy that the angel gives of who John will be. He says, this is why. Because I was preparing you to be the bearer of this one. You see, God had a bigger and better plan. Zechariah's plan was simple. God will give me an ordinary child. But God's plan was, I will give you an extraordinary child. Someone that the scripture says will be great will be filled with the Holy Spirit, will be consecrated, sanctified, set apart to have a special mission for the Lord. Zechariah's plan was this, to have a child that would be a blessing to him personally and to his wife, to his family, and maybe those around him. God's plan was, you will have a child that will be a blessing to the entire world. A child who will go forth before the coming Christ and turn people's hearts to God and prepare the way for the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
God knew what he was doing. He did not give Zechariah the good thing he asked for because he was waiting to give him something great. And that's the answer to our second question. God had a bigger and better plan in mind. God wanted to give him something better. And that leads us to our final question for today. Well, what does that mean for us here today? What are the implications for us? Why is that significant for you and me? Well, I think one thing we can take away from this, I think one important thing that we can learn is that we too, like Zechariah, we can be encouraged when we go through times in life when we don't get the things that we ask for because we can know that God has an incredible plan for us. We can be comforted to know that when things don't go our way, when he doesn't answer our requests, that he is still firmly in control. We can be strengthened to know when that job that we pray for no longer exists, when that scholarship that we applied for goes to somebody else, when that guy or the girl that we prayed to God would marry us chooses a different man or woman, when the test results that we prayed about from the hospital comes back positive, when the doctor delivers to us the heartbreaking and devastating news, we can be strengthened to know that the story's not over because God is writing an ending that far surpasses anything that we can imagine. He is firmly in control. You know, last week, um, just a story I want to end with here today. Last week was sort of a fun day for me. It was a Friday. Uh, wife was out of the house. That's not why it was fun, but uh, <laughs> she, happened to be, she, she happened to be out of the house, and it was a fun day because I love Fridays, and it was just me and Dawson. And so I decided, you know, it's a Friday night. Let's have some fun. Went to Yogurtland. Uh, I let him pick whatever he wanted. He wanted that flavor, that flavor, that flavor. He's like that big. His cup was like this tall. We had a great time. Had yogurt. He got all the candies and whatever he wanted on it. And I said, man, I'm a good dad, right? And so after this, you know, I said, you know, it's still early on a Friday night. Let's have some fun. I don't want to go home. I want to still kill some time, spend, you know, a quality moment with my son. So we decided that we were going to go to Target. Or we didn't decide. I decided that we were going to go to as if, you know, we had a meeting of the minds or something. But, you know, I decided we were going to go to Target because it's, like, right there. And so we walked into Target. And, and I remember it was so cute. When Dawson walked into Target, his eyes just, like, lit up. You know why? Because he saw the toys. Right? I mean, Target, for me, it's, like, household goods and, you know, shaving stuff, you know, things like that. For him, it was, like, oh, the toys. And I'll never forget it because, like, literally, when we walked into the toy section of Target, he literally said, wow. Wow. It was like the biggest wow I've ever heard in his life. And he just had a blast. He went up and down all the aisles. And you know what he did as he was going up and down these aisles? He started pointing at all the toys. I was like, I want that. I want that. Oh, I want that. Oh, Tyrannosaurus, I want that. Oh, Blue, one, I want that. And he basically went up and down like maybe two or three times per aisle, pointing at all these different toys that he wanted. And it was just a delight but I remember, like, after he had gone through the aisles, and like I said, some of them even two or three times, he turned to me, and of course, you guys know this is coming, he asked, he said, can I have these? And so, part of me said, well, it's a Friday night, you know, we're having fun, I'm a good dad. Part of me was like, oh, I don't know. 
maybe I should get him some of these toys, you know? Because I'm a good dad. I want to see my son happy. I want to see that joy in his heart. I want to be a hero to him. You know, I want to be that cool dad that makes him happy, just bring a good memory to him. But then there was another part of me that was like, I don't know. It's not a good idea. Because giving him toys is great and all, but there's more important things I need to give to him, like life lessons, right? Like, you can't just get everything in life that you want because it's a Friday night. That's an important lesson, too, right? There's important things. And, and things like appreciating the toys that you do have at home because, come on, some of you guys that were like, oh, that's, he has a lot of toys. It's not like he's poor in toys, right? He left a whole bag of toys at Pastor Sam's house for like a week and didn't even know it, right? I mean, he has lots of toys. And so I wanted him to learn to not take those for granted. Like, you can't just get a new toy, whatever. And also, I wanted to teach him that going to Target is not a shopping spree, right? I'd never get stuff done if every time we went somewhere, I'd have to get him a toy and go to the toy section. So these are all very, very important things to me that I think are more important than getting him a toy. So when he asked me, Dad, can I have these? What did I say? I said, no. And so he said, well, can I have one toy? And I said, no, not today. I'm sorry, bud. And you know what he said to me? The first word that came out of his mouth was that, oh, I understand, Dad. Thanks for the chat. Okay. <laughs> no, of course, he, he didn't say that. You know what the first word he said that came out of his mouth? Right there. Why? And he said it about like five times. Why? 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 Now, I have an answer to that question. I just told you what they were. But I didn't tell him because there's no point. I know my son doesn't understand. He's three years old. He does not have the capacity to understand all of those things that I just told you. Some of you barely can understand what I just told you. <laughs> my son is not going to understand all of those things. All he can understand is that dad said no. But here's the thing that Dawson doesn't know. Every time he went down that aisle, and I showed my wife this too, every time he went down the aisle, I actually took a picture of every toy that he said that he wanted, right? And Dawson, he turns four in just a couple of months. So in a couple of months, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go online. I'm going to open up a gift registry for Dawson at Target. I'm going to put every single one of those toys on that registry so that when grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, pastors, friends, church, whatever, all the amazing people in the world go, hey, what should we get Dawson for his birthday? I'll have an answer. They'll know exactly what to get him, right? Now, my wife's sitting there like shaking her head like, you're not putting all those toys on there. We're getting clothes and socks and practical stuff, right? But in addition to those things, all those toys will be on the registry. And in just a couple of months, what Dawson doesn't know is he's not going to just get one toy, but he's going to get a lot of toys, maybe even all of those toys. And he'll be far more blessed, more love will be poured out to him than what he can understand now. And so it is with God. He might not always give to us the things that we ask for, he might not always give to us the things that we think are good. But he knows what he's doing. And he indeed is good. 
And the scriptures tell us this. As far as the heavens are from the earth, so his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. And aren't we so glad that they are? Let's pray together. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good God who loves us. And God, I thank you that you know all of the prayers in our hearts. God, you know all of the situations that we go through. God, you know all of the needs that, you, that we have. God, you see all the wants and desires that we have. But, Lord, you see so much more. And so, Lord, today I pray that we may have faith. Faith to continue to come to you and ask, knowing that you are able and powerful. But also, Lord, that you would give us strength to surrender it all to you. Because that's how good and mighty you are. Your ways are higher. In Jesus' name. song can we all stand together